Hello, Heal community. For the first time in nearly a year, I'm opening my practice back up to the general public. I'm actively looking for 10 new qualified clients committed to reversing their illness or health concerns and powerfully taking on their journey to heal. If you're interested in finding out more, go to my website and schedule a free 25-minute phone call. We will discuss what you're dealing with and be sure we are the best fit for each other. Remember, I specifically have expertise in autoimmunity, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, mold illnesses, hormones, and insomnia, but can treat much more. Looking forward to connecting with you. Welcome to HEAL. Today on HEAL, Dr. Larry Farwell, PhD in neuroscience and thought leader in quantum mechanics, gives us the scientific evidence for how we actually can and do create miracles in our lives. Explore the truths and lack thereof in what we call science in medicine and our life. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Oh my goodness, Larry, it's so good to see you. It's been like uh, eight years, I think, since we were together. Yes, well, it's delightful to see you, Sarah. You are looking wonderful as always. Thank you, thank and you. And it's, it's so great to be uh, sharing with you. Yeah, oh my gosh. This is, I, I just love how serendipitous our, how our friendship began and now where we are getting to have this conversation. So you are Dr. Larry Farwell. You have a PhD in neuroscience, correct? That is correct. And you were Harvard educated. And I, I mean, your act, your CV is, we'll put your bio in our, in our show notes, but one of the smartest people I know, I'm going to, I'm going to start with that. And, you know, the work that you've done in brain fingerprinting and the work that you've been able to do in counterterrorism. And like, it's, it's just really incredible the impact you've had on the world for one, and the way that you've been able to literally release people from being incarcerated to having some people who actually need to no longer be free to roam the planet actually get in the world of justice is it's really incredible. And, and with such a strong science background, scientists doing justice in the world. (laughs) And I'm really excited today to talk about your new book, The Science of Miracles. And, you know, we'll get into it more, but I've already gotten so much out of it for myself. And it's, I, we were just talking about this before we started the recording, like my love for quantum mechanics, quantum physics, science, Uh neurology, and spirituality, and what I would call more like the beyond. And I've had that intuition sense, whatever you want to call it, that like, there's a lot of science to this. We just haven't actually identified it yet in the laboratory. And to say that, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of my medicine is a naturopath, even, you know, a lot of people be like, oh, but it's unscientific. I'm like, that's not the most accurate way to put that. And first of all, there's a lot more research than people are aware of that's actually been backed up. And there's just a place where we haven't done the research or we don't have the, the mechanisms subtle enough to identify, but now with the work that you did, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed we do. A lot of people, when they think of science, they think of uh, dogmatic acceptance of what they learned in their high school science classes, but actually in the real world of science, we're exploring the unknown. We're asking, we're using research technology to ask questions of nature and and discover the answers. And also all of the really good scientists that I know 
use their intuition to tune into what, what nature is up to. And then they use the intellect as a tool to explain that and systematize it and, and te develop tests to test it and, and so on. And that's how, that's how science progresses. It's very much a, a process involving the consciousness of the scientist and not just cut and dried mechanical things. I've been known to stick my foot in my mouth a lot on this podcast. So I'm just going to dive right in with one of them, which is I pretty much, I think a ton of medical research in particular is incredibly limited because it's just reinforcing dogma. They are not that willing to color outside the lines and actually explore the edges of what's known. It's just reinforces yes. a viewpoint often which a viewpoint that was somebody's opinion from 75 years ago that actually the science doesn't even back up when you evaluate it. Mm -hmm. And that's not the point of today's show, but that's a soapbox <laughs> I could go on about for a long time. <laughs> well, for 400 years, and you and I briefly mentioned this before we started recording here, for 400 years, the Newtonian materialist mechanical universe paradigm served us pretty well. And uh, about 100 years ago, a little over 100 years ago now, two things happened which really turned that paradigm completely on its head. And one was relativity physics, and the other was quantum mechanics. And what those two have shown us is that it's not a me mechanistic universe that's out there, and we sit back and observe it. We, through our conscious observation, in a very real sense, create the phenomena that we were observing. I mean, to, to, get, to geek out a little bit into the quantum physics of it, what exists before a conscious observation is simply abstract probability distributions of quantum mechanical particle wave phenomena. When we observe it, it collapses into an event. So before an observation is made, there really, there aren't any particles, there aren't any waves, there's only abstract probability distributions. I mean, John von Neumann, who invented the, the, the computer and who was one of the great mathematicians of our time, or for that matter, any time, he wrote a book called The Mathematical Foundations of Quantum Mechanics. And after you get through 400 pages of dense mathematical equations, he comes up with a summary, which is that the scientific exploration of quantum mechanics is not a matter of observing something that's out there. It's a matter of creating a particular experience, which involves the universe around us and involves the subject as well. And consciousness is a major part of that. So one of the things that, that I've been exploring, and I've done research on this, as we mentioned, is how can we use our consciousness to create miracles. And the, the title of my book is The Science of Creating Miracles, Neuroscience, Quantum Physics, and the Living the Life of Your Dreams. And I've done research in, in, in neuroscience all of my career. I did research also in quantum physics. I published in the physics journals. I did research in conjunction with my father, who was a nuclear physicist by profession. And what our goal has been is to create a bridge between what we know in the scientific world and what we experience in the world that is, is commanded by our consciousness. And that, so that's what Science of Creating Miracles is about. So you're saying we can measure consciousness? Well, or is that we the can, wrong way we, to put it? We can explore consciousness and we can measure the relationship between consciousness and matter. Okay. And, so let's, uh, 
science of creating miracles. It could also be called science of consciousness. <laughs> and uh, first of all, with respect to miracles, it's often been thought that a miracle was something which went outside or beyond the, the laws of, of physics, the laws of science. When, when you get into quantum mechanics, the quantum mechanical universe is one in which anything is possible. In other words, any imaginable configuration of quantum particle wave phenomena is possible, just some are highly probable and some are improbable. And we come along with our consciousness, we collapse those probability distributions into an observation or into what we would call an event that's, that creates the structure of the physical universe. I was talking to my dad one time about this and we had, we were sitting in the restaurant eating lunch and I said, hey, dad, you know, anything is possible. And he said, yeah, you're right. Any, any imaginable configuration of quantum particle wave phenomena is possible. Some of them are highly improbable. Some of them are highly probable. And, what, uh, and I said, well, for example, it's possible that the elementary particles that make up our body plus enough air to breathe are going to tunnel from here to the other side of the moon. And tunneling is a known phenomenon in quantum mechanics that happens. We're going to tunnel to the other side of the moon. We'll carry on this conversation there. He said, yeah, you're right. And in fact, he got out a paper napkin and he did some quick calculations and he calculated the probability that that was gonna happen. And it was improbable and didn't happen. But the point is that anything is possible in the world of quantum mechanics. Now, the, the exploration that my father and I undertook, what we called the conscious unified field experiment, all of the particle wave phenomena that make up the physical universe arise like waves on an ocean from the uh, conscious unified field or from the unified field, which we call a conscious unified field because of what I'm just about to describe in terms of our research. So the question that we asked was, well, since there are these abstract probability distributions, could we create an improbable event? Could we create a highly improbable event using our consciousness? Because that would be what creating a miracle involves. So we, I think everyone's had the experience you think I'd really like to hear from Joe, the phone rings and it's Joe. But you, so you think, well, you know, maybe there was something happening there on the subtle, but you don't know the probability. So you can't say I conducted a scientific experiment and show that, that we could create something uh, improbable or impossible. We do, however, know the exact probability distribution of alpha particle emission by plutonium. But plutonium, as you know, was one of the major ingredients of an atomic bomb. And so we decided to test whether we could shift the probability distribution of alpha particle emission by plutonium. Because if we could, we could define very precisely, okay, functioning from the level of consciousness alone, we can have command of the physical universe. And if you go to the, you, you go to the, the latest book on how to be successful that was written last week, or the scriptures from two or one or two or five or 10,000 years ago, they're all say, you begin with an inner vision on the level of your consciousness, you enliven nature in that vibration, and then that you create that not only by the actions that you can see, but by enlivening nature so that you find coming your way all kinds of things that, that couldn't have been mechanistically predicted. So we decided to test if all of these wise people were actually correct and if you really could create miracles from the level of your consciousness. And without going into the details of the apparatus and so on, what we discovered is you can't. We could create, we and others, especially people of highly developed consciousness, could create extremely unlikely quantum phenomena. 
And since the entire universe consists of, of nothing other than quantum phenomena, if you can create an improbable event, you can create miracles. And that I think is not only how we drive our brains, but it's how we create our lives. It's how we create our environments. You were mentioning that it was serendipitous that you and I had met each other. Well, I agree it's serendipitous and serendipitous that we're together today, and it's not an accident. Yeah. We created by what we were, the resonant frequency we were developing in our lives about, about higher consciousness, about creating a, a world in which people are healthy and happy and successful, exploration of science, that was in tune. We were in tune with each other and with nature, and that brought us together. So there are, there are no coincidences, and yet we can, we can create what appear to be unlikely coincidences functioning from the level of consciousness. So that's, that's the science of creating miracles in a nutshell. So, oh my gosh, one, ah! So I have a background in professional chemistry and I actually geeked out on quantum mechanics and, and physical chemistry, which was actually the physics of chemistry was my favorite course, which is weird because most people hated that course. But we would get <laughs> right. into exactly this conversation of like, I always, so when I was a really young kid, I don't know exactly how the conversation started, but I was super curious about like, I'd look at my body and I'd see my body moving around and I'm like, how is it doing that? Like, how is this actually happening? And I had some, I was probably like eight because I was old enough to have a rudimentary understanding of like, okay, I know I have a brain and I know I have nerves and I know I have muscles and I know I have blood. So I had this me mechanistic image of the way the body worked, where there was the brain was telling the signals to my nerves, which are telling signals to my muscles and my muscles to do something. But I was kind of like, okay, but where is that coming from? How do I know where that's coming from? What's the energy that's there? And I sort of had this concept of there being like batteries inside of our body. Cause I knew I put batteries inside my toys and they would work and that like that would turn out. Well, I'm eight fast forward to I'm 24 and I'm in the physics of chemistry and I'm actually learning where the batteries are. <laughs> it was uh -huh. like looking at the probability of electrons moving around in P orbital states. And I won't geek out on all of the different parts and pieces of that, but there's like a whole world to it that it was like, finally, I had gotten some solutions to what this question I had been having since I was eight years old. And at that point, I had no idea I was going to go on and get into medicine at all. So I continue on down this and like, I'm looking at what you're talking about here. And I actually tracked most of that conversation, but you did a really good job of keeping it pretty simple, but there's still a few things I want to just point out of okay. like, you said it, but it was like, it, it's an easy drive-by, which is in the world of quantum mechanics, anything is possible. Yes, indeed. And our brains could go, okay, sure. That's some little fictitious, small thing that scientists and fi science fiction writers talk about. That's what like the automatic thinking, because we're so ingrained to cause and effect physical Newtonian based. And, and even if yep. people who are listening to this are like, I hate science. I didn't like science at all. If you actually look in your life, you're having your life experiences are given by this paradigm of cause and effect of the way Newtonian physics works. I mean, Newtonian physics and the Newtonian paradigm of cause and effect, it's all over our lives, even if we don't think about science, just the way we think about how yes. we live, you know, yep. and 
that statement that in quantum mechanics, anything is possible said another way is in life, really all of it, anything is possible. Cause then you also said, yes. well, it all actually is quantum mechanics, which is <laughs> right. something that's not yet anchored in our culture. It's not something that we go around just experiencing that. And I'm even familiar with this paradigm and I forget that all the time. And I still come mm -hmm. from cause and effect, but I can think of some of these circumstances, like you said, like I've actually, I had a woman, she was the um, guidance counselor of uh, guidance counselor what do you call them like when you're at summer camp you're you're the counselors I, I, at summer I, I camp call yeah. Them counselors yeah yeah <laughs> she was a counselor at my summer camp when i was a kid and her name was Kristen. and i ran into her in a serendipitous moment at a concert and uh -huh. then i started having this conversation with people and i would bring it up and they go oh i know Kristen," like and i'd use her last uh -huh. name and then I would use this story as an example of these circumstances. And on five separate occasions in different locations, the person I was talking to knew Kristen. Yeah, it's amazing. Not surprising, but amazing. <laughs> and that's that improbable event that's what and I and what I don't know is like the circumstances of whatever it was that created it to become a more probable event. So yeah. That's one question I want to follow up on is like, okay. how do we go from something that is more on the line of an improbable event or occurrence to become probable? But before I do that, I have a, another question. I want to just create a definition. Okay. How do you define miracle? Because that's another word that people get kind of hung up on. Okay. So what does that actually mean for you and what you're doing? All right. Well, a miracle is a positive event a beneficial event that is so unlikely according to our understanding of the applicable natural laws that it would seem to be impossible. Although now we know it's not really impossible, it's only highly improbable. So a miracle is a highly improbable event that is a beneficial event that nevertheless happens despite its improbability. And the mechanics of how we can create that have to do with the fundamentals of what creation is. And all of the great spiritual traditions hold that, and a lot of other wise people too, <laughs> hold that the inner field of pure consciousness that is the essential constituent of our lives that makes a human being different from a rock or a robot, our inner field of pure consciousness is the same as the unified field from which creation springs, which we now call the conscious unified field, the unified field of that quantum particle wave phenomena spring from like, like waves on an ocean or particles, depending on how you measure them. And if that's the case, then it would make sense that we'd be able to command the laws of nature. We'd be able to create improbable configurations of quantum mechanical events or miracles in another word, simply on the level of our consciousness. For example, I want my hand to go up now and I have that intention on the level of my consciousness. And now my hand goes up, now my hand goes down. I don't need to know all of the neuroscience behind that. I don't need to know which quantum particle wave phenomena had to be had to take place within the neurons in my brain and then going down the, 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 the nerves in my arm and then the muscles and all of that. I, because we, we, Because you are 
this conscious unified field that underlies, supports, and creates all of creation, you can function from that level. And uh, speaking of science and scientists, I'd like to read a quote from Erwin Schrodinger, one of the founders of quantum mechanics. So this guy's a hardcore scientist, not some kind of a mystic or something. I mean, one of the best scientists of modern times. He said, quote, so let us see whether we cannot draw the correct non-contradictory conclusion from the following two premises. One, my body functions as a pure mechanism according to the laws of nature. Two, yet I know by incontrovertible direct experience that I am directing its motions of which I foresee the effects that may be fateful and unimportant, in which case I feel and take responsibility for them. The only possible inference from these two facts is I think that I, I in the widest meaning of the word, that is to say every conscious mind that has ever said or felt I am the person, if any, who controls the motion of the atoms according to the laws of nature. And he is simply saying, that was Erwin Schroeder, he is simply saying the same thing that we showed in the laboratory in our conscious unified field experiment, that functioning from the level of consciousness, you can create an influence, not only in your own nervous system, but in nature, in down to the microsecond level, down to the elementary particle level, down to the subatomic level, we have that, that level, level of interface and command over the universe. And the way we do that is by tuning into that quiet level within ourselves, which is closest to the conscious unified field and livening that, that vibratory influence, that resonant frequency in the conscious unified field. And then that resonance comes up elsewhere and shows up all around us. It's like if you have a guitar and you pluck a string on the guitar, it vibrates at a particular resonant frequency. If there's another instrument in the area that has a similar resonant frequency, it'll start to vibrate as well. So when you set up a resonant frequency within the conscious unified field, you discover that that resonant frequency is, is, is found all around you. You're, you're, you're creating an environment all around you in which that which you enliven on the level of your consciousness is showing up in the physical world. So and creating, the, yeah, like how do we create that resonant, say it again? Resonant frequency. Yeah. Well, okay. The, we did this experiment, my dad and I did this experiment about 20 years ago. And I wrote a book, a very technical book at that time on the, on the neuroscience involved and the, the physics involved. Now that was meant really for my, my scientific peers. And I have spent the, the last 20 years developing and teaching and, and practicing techniques to make that phenomenon practical. In other words, to, to be able to take that scientific knowledge, well, okay, we can, we can create miracles as possible in principle, to develop specific techniques for for doing that, for bringing that into your life. And th these are experience, experiential techniques, not something that you can, it's not a cookbook formula. It's a, it's a matter of developing experiential paths that allow you to function on a quieter level of the mind. Usually, like if we're doing push-ups, you push harder, you push your muscles harder, you, you, you get more effect. But when you're, when you're creating miracles, it's actually, it comes from the level of having that desire or intention and letting go, letting your mind quiet down and experience your own intuition, which is very close to the conscious unified field. So the mechanics of how that happens and all the techniques that, that we teach that have to do with that have to do with quieting the mind, letting go and tuning into nature rather than using more force.
Yeah. And I can definitely attest to my experience in that, you know, in my own development of intuition and, you know, as a kid, there were conversations of my just general sense of intuition, but I actually met two teachers. I had one and then I had another a couple of years later. And we had all these practices that we would start to do in that realm of, of meditative. Like there was a guided visualization that we would do of looking at our own energy field in our body. And Mm -hmm. my first teacher, um, we actually did a three-day workshop where she started to teach these different visualizations and principles that were a lot in the world of guided meditations. We didn't use that word, but if I actually Mm -hmm. look back at what we were doing, there was a lot of that. We'd close our eyes and she'd guide us to move energy around our body or to look into how energy was moving around our body. We used the chakra system as a basis Mm -hmm. of looking at it and did something called running energy, which came out of the actual Berkeley Psychic Institute. And it was this process of like pulling up earth energy and pulling down universal consciousness and then kind of cleansing the chakras with this energy field. But as far as I knew, it was a visualization, right? Like I didn't have Uh other knowledge about it. So I did that. It was actually during the 20 or 2002 Olympics because I was at the University of Utah and the Olympic committee took over our entire university and kicked all the students out. And so I had a three week break in the middle of my semester when the Olympics were in Salt Lake City. Uh-huh. And so I left town and I went to Idaho and this is where my teacher was. And I ended up doing this workshop. So from 2002 until I started naturopathic medical school in the September of 2005, I just kept repeating that same visualization on myself. It just mm-hmm. it seemed like the thing to do. I didn't I'm not even entirely sure why, but I just kept doing that again and again. I would do it all the time. I do it when I was dealing with emotions. I do it when I just needed to sit and tune in and I'd run my energy and run my energy. What I didn't realize is I was cultivating an in-tuneness with my body and with how things felt in my body. So then in naturopathic school, when I met my second teacher, Liliana Barzola, who we've actually had on heel and she shared about her practices as an intuitive counselor, she started to train me further. And then this was another of those synchronicities. It was not an accident. So I ended up connecting to my first teacher because my mom did a vision quest with her five years earlier. So my mom meets this woman. She does a vision quest. She tells me, you got to go meet this lady. So I go and spend time with her. I do her first workshop. Then three and a half years later, I'm in naturopathic school and I go see a naturopath and she does a workup on me. And she also says, you need to go meet this woman. She just, you know, I didn't even ask what she did. She just said, you just need to do a session with her. Mm-hmm. She takes me through the exact same guided meditation. It's amazing. Turns out she was trained by a teacher from the Psychic Berkeley Institute, which doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I come across two random quote unquote teachers with the exact same methodology and same principles that they'd both been taught from two other teachers from the same school of thought that no longer exists. So I was pretty clear that that was part of like what I was supposed to be doing. And I ended up training under Liliana and it got to a point where I do this on all of my clients' treatment plans where Mm -hmm. I utilize, and I always say, I'm a scientist and an intuitive. I have my foot in two canoes, but I'm starting to learn from you. Mm -hmm. It's one canoe. (laughs) (laughs) which is awesome but like I have this like you know eight years of research that I participated in and I have a science background and so I will come from what I know from just straight my medical education with my clients first and I'll come up with their treatment plan 
but I tweak it. I keep messing with it until I get it to resonate. I use a one to 10 scale and it Mm -hmm. has to come out in an eight or a nine for me to prescribe it to them. And I can literally, I feel something in my body, I think, but I can actually tell like if it's a yes or if it's a no. Yeah. And I do have to ask that question, but that's come now over 20 years of training myself into this. And Mm -hmm. it has gotten to the point, and I don't mean this as a party trick at all, but I've done readings on people head to toe that I've never met before. And I tune into their chakras and I tune into their energy fields. And I tell them, look, if this resonates and makes a difference for you, great. If it doesn't toss it, I'm not attached to anything I say. And 90% of the time, people are pretty blown away by what I gleaned with my eyes closed, looking at their energy field, but I developed those capacities over time. And so what I'm so excited about is for me, I've always had a sense that this is scientific because it's reproducible. We even used to do it in the lab where Mm -hmm. one person would use muscle testing and another person would use intuition and we get the same answers Uh from two different systems of using our intuition. As that is brilliant. And I, I, I also teach workshops and seminars on the science of creating miracles. And we get into, we get into this, the science, the quantum physics, neuroscience, and all of that. And we also get into practical application of energy and, and subtle energies within the human body, subtle energies within the psyche. We, we deal with the, the chakras because those are, those are real, real things. And not too long ago, we could not in any way see or measure x-rays, but they existed. Now we've developed secondary instrumentation that allows us to measure them. Now, the, the people's auras, their subtle bodies, their chakras, those are, those are material phenomena that can be experienced through the most refined instrumentation we have, which is the human nervous system. Yeah. We don't yet have secondary instruments to measure them. I think the most likely explanation will be that these are quantized fields, just like the electromagnetic field, except of a subtler stuff. And we'll at some point have machines, instruments that can measure them. But the idea that something which can be experienced only by the most refined machinery we have, which is the human nervous system, but can't be experienced and and quantified by other secondary measuring instruments, the idea that anything like that doesn't exist it would have wiped out half of what we now can measure because a short time ago, there's all kinds of stuff we couldn't yet measure, but it existed. So it's, that's where scientific exploration, I think will go, will, there will be a time in the not too distant future where we not only can use these uh, subtle energetic resonances that we experience to benefit people, but we can also develop instruments to measure them. It's simply yeah. a matter of getting the concrete level of science a little bit closer to the experiential level. And as in my understanding there, I would probably deem it more, there are experimental machines that are at work on this. Like there are some yeah, there are. Uh-huh. people like the Reich energy field and EAV systems, which I can't remember what it stands for. And I've heard of these, there's actually a system, they call it photography, but it's not, it's really photonography that the company that I use homeopathic remedies from, they actually Mm -hmm. use this to standardize how they make their remedies. And they've been using Uh this since the 1950s where they take an image of of the remedy itself. And in homeopathy, we're past Avogadro's number most of the time in dilutions. And so there's no physical 
molecule left of the original substance, but there's an energetic imprint to the remedy that's unique per remedy. And they've actually documented the uniqueness and they can show that it's not mm -hmm. placebo. It has energetic characteristics that can be measured from one remedy to the next. And then they make sure that as they make new remedies, they're standardizing it to what it's supposed to look like from the beginning. Uh -huh. Now, I don't know the extent of how far they've gone to actually measure those machines and take it out further in order to create the um, cultural scientific agreement about that, that we require in a lot of systems of science. But I do know that there are many people that I often even get phone calls from and they're like, I got this new machine and it does this. And I actually was at a seminar in Arizona, I don't know, four or five years ago with a gentleman who used to be, he was an eye surgeon and uh -huh. he actually had a um, tenant, Dr. Tenant, I think is his, his full name. He had a virus escape from a patient's eye during surgery. And literally he caught the virus and ended up with a very major neurologic condition that he had to work himself through in order to heal from because none of the specialists knew how to heal him. And that was his introduction into energy medicine because uh -huh. he wasn't actually able to do it at all through anything physical that he was aware of. And he did it all in this realm of the subtle energies and getting in touch with his body. Well, he went on to actually create a machine that would be able to tune into people's subtle energies. And mm -hmm. we did a very non-scientific N of one back-to-back -back me versus the machine during our lunch break. And uh -huh. it was pretty neat because I actually, I read the person's energy levels and their chakras and then the machine read it. And I was, we were 80% within agreement. It was mm -hmm. a one-time thing. So there more research needs to be done to prove this, but, and it, you know, and I think one of the key things you said too, is you've you had cultivated your consciousness to this in order to mm -hmm. tune in. And I do believe that intuition or however we want to put it, this, our ability to tune into these subtle energies is universal. All humans have the capacity, but mm -hmm. like learning an instrument, if you put a violin in my hand, I'm not going to be producing anything <laughs> beautiful, but people can train themselves in playing the violin to incredible levels. And yes. I think it's the same in this area. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree completely. And actually that's one of the things I do in my workshops and seminars is train people. And I agree, we all have, well, we all, in essence, are the conscious unified field. So we have some level of contact with that, and we can enhance that. And the more you bring the unbounded consciousness of the conscious unified field into your awareness, the more attuned your intuition is, and the more powerful your thoughts are, and the more powerful you are in creating effects in the universe. And yes, that's something that can be learned and trained. With respect to the, the scientific aspects of, of subtle energies, one of my favorite books is The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn. And he points out that within a particular paradigm, it determines not only the answers you get, but it determines even the questions you can ask. For example, for a thousand years, people were asking the question, how do all the celestial bodies move around the earth? And it's obvious that they do. I mean, you watch the sun come up, you watch the, what the moon does, you watch all the stars, move. obviously they're moving around the earth. But once you've asked that question, you can't actually get an answer that is in accord with reality because the, the real question is, how do all the celestial bodies, including the earth, move in relation to each other? And so uh, in the Newtonian materialist paradigm based on linear 
cause and effect. There, there are only objects and forces, and, and and there's there's nothing beyond that. There's nothing subtler than that. Whereas in the real world, the quantum mechanical world, there is the conscious unified field that all these objects and forces arise from, and you can tune into that. And one of the things he pointed out in that book is that when there's a scientific revolution, you get pushback, you get a lot of resistance from the beneficiaries of the status quo because it's a whole new paradigm, it's a whole new universe. They're no longer the people, they're no longer the big experts. They're no longer in the positions of authority and, and, and profit and whatnot. So as new science develops, it's not just a matter of smooth progress. It's a matter of, of leaps and bounds. And sometimes there are revolutions and you get, you get pushed back pretty hard from the people who don't want there to be a new paradigm that makes them obsolete. Yeah, you see that throughout the history of science. And uh, fortunately, we have some very solid quantum physics and relativity physics research that shows that the Newtonian paradigm just doesn't fit reality. Yeah. So that has opened the door to the science of creating miracles and the, the conscious unified field paradigm that really takes the subtler levels of reality into account. Yeah. I could so get on my soapbox about homeopathy here, but maybe <laughs> save that. But I mean, in that particular place, Hahnemann, who is the father of homeopathy, and he's the one of the only doctors to actually create an entire field of medicine, one person created an entire field of medicine that 250 years later is actually still used. And it's one of the largest used systems of medicine in the world. Most uh -huh. Americans don't think that because we have this very limited view based on our local cultural paradigm, yeah. but actually homeopathy is cheap. It's incredibly easy to reproduce and it's highly effective in treating people's ailments. And so in, in India, it's the predominant system of medicine that's utilized because of its accessibility and its affordability. That being said, Hahnemann was kicked out of like eight countries. He right. kept losing his medical license and he would have to leave another country to go underneath some other king or duke or duchess who, who he treated Napoleon. He treated most of the royalty of Europe of his time because they actually uh -huh. knew it was going to make a difference and he would work with them. And he'd have to get under the shelter of some other agency because he kept losing <laughs> his medical licenses and getting kicked out of wherever he was. And most of his revelations and the biggest impacts of his work came from work he did after the age of 80, which is also just like mind blowing when I think about how I hold myself to really high standard and I'm like, I'm 41 and I'm failing and I still haven't figured <laughs> these things out. And I read the autobiography of, of Hahnemann and I was like, okay, I feel a little better. Like most of the big stuff that he really worked out happened after the age of 80. So that's awesome. <laughs> but I want to, I want to use this as an opportunity to kind of bring in, I mean, there's so many places that, that creating the science, you know, the science of miracles, creating miracles in our life that could get applied to any area of life. But I'd love to talk a little bit about what you see about how it could be applied to well-being. And, you know, we were saying before, you're like, physical well-being I'm not as familiar with because it's not your area of study but from an energetic standpoint or from a mindset standpoint or what do you what do you see about that how can this apply to making a difference for people on their healing journey well the the whole universe including our human bodies can be described in terms of resonant frequencies I mean look for example at this desk that I'm sitting at here well, you can't see it, but you can yeah. hear me knock on it. To me, it looks brown, it looks hard, it looks solid, and it looks very different and separate from the air next to it. 
But if you look at it more closely, you'll see it, it's not solid, it's not static. There are molecules bouncing around in there, moving very quickly. You look within those, you see atoms. Uh, you look within those, you see the elementary particles, protons, neutrons, electrons. You look within those, you look a little bit deeper, you see quarks. You look within the quarks down to the, the string theory level, you have vibrating strings. So this, what appears to me as a solid separate object, it's mostly empty space. And what's really there is a pattern of vibration of vibrating strings. So our body is a, is a pattern of vibration of uh, cascading resonant frequencies building on each other. And when something is out of whack, it's going to be when there's some illness, some disease, something that is not functioning properly, there is some disorder that has crept into those resonant frequencies. And we can address that on many different levels. I mean, if you have a broken arm, your, your arm is, is like all at the wrong angle an arm's supposed to be, well, obviously you're gonna, you can do something physical and you're going to move it into the right position. And if there's a chemical imbalance, you can address it chemically. But ultimately it comes down to that there is something out of balance with nature and out of balance with the design of our, of our physiology and the design of our whole human being that it, where a resonant frequency is, is not really resonating with nature, not really resonating with our true nature, not resonating with our design and not resonating with a conscious unified field. So you can address it on so many different levels. Addressing on the level of consciousness, you attune your consciousness more to the conscious unified field. That has an impact, and I'm sure you know this, and I'm sure you've experienced it through your patients and clients. That has an influence of attuning your whole physiology, your, your whole, your, your being and your, all the levels of your, your life. So dealing with the subtle energy level, you mentioned that you, you did energetic readings on people, which I do as well, and uh, that you would tune into the, the energetic frequency of that person or the energetic uh, resonant frequency or vibratory pattern of that person, and you could gain information. Well, if there is something out of whack on the energetic level, you can tune into that and your and their consciousness is working together, can tune into the subtler levels close to the conscious unified field, can harmonize that. And when you harmonize the subtle energies, the physical body uh, responds. So it's, it's really all, it's just different levels of resonant frequencies and, and creating a, a level of harmony and you can address it from the most, most superficial physical level of straightening out an arm that's bent in the wrong way because it's, it's broken to the, dealing with the subtle level of, of consciousness and people's, people's energetic fields, their auras, their chakras, and all of the, the, the subtle phenomena that are accessible to the human nervous system through our direct perception, but that we don't yet have, in, in some cases, instruments that measure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I have so many thoughts about this. Like one is I, I have had the experience and I've heard many stories where someone may be dealing with something that was physically measurable in the, in the world of disease yes. and they altered things in their life or their consciousness or their energetic fields. And that yes. disease resolved itself. Yes. And the way our Newtonian medical system refers to that is it was misdiagnosed in the first place. <laughs> right. <laughs> they literally say, well, we must have gotten it wrong. You never had it to begin with because that would be impossible for it to disappear. Mm -hmm. And well, that impossible. blows my mind. Well, that yeah. 
that's the thing. It's not impossible. It was right. it was improbable, and it was it was impossible in the Newtonian paradigm. It was not impossible in the the conscious unified field paradigm. And by the way, people who have, who find it mind-boggling that there really is a connection between consciousness and the physical world, well, we're in good company. I mean, uh, when I was a kid, my my dad was a physicist, as you know, and he went to study with Niels Bohr. Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg were two of the major discoverers of quantum mechanics. And they would they would go for walks long into the night having these intense conversations about can it really be the way it's turning out? It is. I mean, the rug has they were they were built, brought up in the Newtonian paradigm where everything was mechanical cause and effect. The whole rug was pulled out from under what these careful scientists thought was was the universe. And so that that uh, that people who have less of a, a scientific understanding of it have trouble recognizing that reality is no surprise. On the other hand, it pays off in life, I think, to keep an open mind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, that's what science is about. It's about not thinking you dogmatically know all the answers. It's, it's about th- thinking, well, there, there's something out there to be explored. And yeah. the conscious unified field paradigm really provides the link between our subjective experience, our consciousness, and the physical bodies, and how one could affect, dramatically affect the other. And of course, that goes in both directions. Absolutely. And yes, it, I, I know there are many very real cases where people shift something on the level of their consciousness. They create a more harmonious vibration on, on the level of their being, and that has an effect on the physical body. I, mean, yeah. I refer to that process as transmutation. There's a lot of a lot of uh, exploration and, and techniques these days on the level of transformation, where you tra- change, transform, tra- change the form of something. It's like if you have a statue made out of lead, you can change the form. It's a different shaped statue, but it's still lead. The idea of transmutation comes out of alchemy, the idea being that, that they, they sought to change base metals into gold, so that you're, you're changing the, the, the substance itself. Well, transmutation in human life is not just changing your your thoughts, your emotions, your beliefs, your actions, your speech, but it's a fundamental shift in who is creating that by tuning into the more universal level of your own being. So transmutation is something that takes place on the level of of being. And I I nearly named my book uh, Transmutation rather than the science of creating miracles because creating miracles really is all about the process of transmutation. It takes place within, not outside. So what would be some of your examples of tools or some things you could leave people to explore more? I mean, clearly doing your workshops and working with you directly, but are there some things you can point people to of ways to start to be at work on this for themselves of that tuning in and quieting down and, and being able to get to those subtle energy levels? Yeah, sure. I'll give you a, a very a very simple exercise that that you can do, and it takes a little bit of explanation of the background. We carry around within ourselves a blueprint having to do with what our life is like and what we are like. And if something comes along that is a, as a challenge of one kind or another, it's usually a challenge to our, our value, our power, or our safety, or some combination of those. Now we carry around within ourselves a blueprint that I'm, I'm say 70% valuable and 30% value less and 85% safe and 
67% powerful. So we have that blueprint and we resonate that blueprint and we create in our lives all kinds of irrefutable evidence that that blueprint is right because we're creating a life that, that accords with that blueprint. Now, how are we going to create a shift in that? Well, let's look, let's go back to the brain, look how the brain works. Most of the time, the brain is not in input mode. It's not in, in um, rearranging mode because you, you can't be shifting, you can't be changing your brain all the time. Most of the time you, 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 you go along with what you know. Say you're crawling around on the floor or, or toddling around on the floor at age two and you touch the table leg, you touch the floor, you touch the chair and you touch the hot stove. Now you touch the hot stove, you have an aha experience that brings your attention strongly to what's happening. And there is a, that aha experience when you have a, a realization, when something really brings you into the present, when you really take note of something, that results in a particular main brain event-related brain potential that I've spent a lot of my career studying called a memory and encoding-related multifaceted electroencephalographic response, or M-E-R-M-E-R, -E -E murmur. <laughs> Thanks for the acronym. <laughs> Good. So when we really learn, when the brain has a chance to shift and create new patterns, is when we have one of these murmur moments. So let's say we're, we're cruising along in life and someone says or does something or some circumstance arises that really triggers you, that really gets to you, that's it's like painful. Now, a lot, of, a lot of us try to avoid those moments or you try to shoot the messenger or punish the messenger so they'll never let that happen again or blame the messenger or blame yourself and think, oh gosh, you know, maybe I really am a jerk, look what's happening to me. But we can actually, and this is a, the, the little technique that I'll be talking about, you can actually use all those murmur moments to your advantage. When something comes along that triggers you, you can practice what I call transmutation trigger. Now the brain is open for reprogramming because now your life has got your attention. That something's happened, that something significant is happening here. So what, that, what happens when that happens is, what happens to your brain when that happens in your life is the brain is saying, okay, great. Now th there's something to learn here. There's something, there's, there's some shift that can take place. So then the thing to do at that moment, when something comes along and triggers you, it really, it really gets to you and you're, you're starting to be upset or angry or whatever. Instead of focusing on what's happening externally, open the awareness inward and tune into that level of life where you can experience, oh yes, who am I really? Who's the real Sarah Marshall? Who's the real Larry Farwell? It, uh, tune into that level where you're close to the conscious unified field, where your awareness is quiet and you experience your true blueprint, which is 100% valuable, 100% safe, 100% po powerful. And it's not just a matter of saying those words to yourself, it's now tuning into that, that resonance within yourself where you experience that. So what this does is it turns those murmur moments on their head. Instead of being something that's damaging to you, I call it a, a transmutation trigger. Use it as a trigger for transmutation. Use it as a trigger. Use it as an opening to tune into who you truly are. And then what you discover is that your response comes out of who you truly are rather than out of reaction to that little thing that came along that triggered something into you. And also when something like that comes along, when a murmur moment comes along, it also gives you some information. You can thank the messenger also because it gives you some information. Well, I must have something about that. If someone says, well, you have the ugliest blonde hair that I've ever seen, 
it says that to you, it's not really going to make much of an impact because you just think, oh, well, this guy doesn't know much about hair or maybe colorblind or whatever it is. I'm a brunette. Where, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas if someone says something that actually gets to you, that lets you know, okay, well, there's something, I have something in there that I could bring to light. And at the same time, tune into that, well, whatever that something is, it's not the real me. The real me is 100% valuable, 100% safe, 100% powerful, tuned into... The, the, you get a, a, a sense, a feeling of who you really are, a resonance of who you really are. It's not just a matter of thinking about, okay, yeah, I know I'm powerful and safe and valuable and all of that. When you tune into that inner experience, you use what would be a negative trigger for, for a transmutation trigger. And you can practice that all the time. You, and you start to get a little smile at the side, corners of your mouth. When something comes along, and you think, okay, that's the kind of thing that really would send me for a loop. You think, okay, this is an opportunity. So that can create a shift in, in the way you relate to the kind of experiences that most of us have spent most of our lives trying to avoid or prevent. Yeah. God, so good. And there's so many crossovers to the research I've done around flow state and how yeah. the neurologic condition of flow state, uh, it, they're, they're trying to figure out how to train people to drop into flow state. And their access has been in very extreme circumstances because life or death yeah. circumstances will often just drop somebody into flow state you know, yep. very extreme um, sports circumstances, a lot of like extreme sport athletes have been who they've been studying to discover flow state. And, you know, in flow state, they've actually started to be able to work with in government agencies, you might be more familiar than this, you mm -hmm. know, when you need to learn a new language, they actually discovered that putting people into sensory deprivation float tanks, and then piping in what they need to know to learn a new language, because you've calmed everything else down in the nervous system, yep. you create this hyper focus they actually can become fluent in a language in like 20% of what the normal time frame would be for the human brain to be able to do that. And there's incredibly increased learning and the performance when you get access to flow state goes up like 500%, not yep. just a small, it's like a quantum leap in performance. And I can hear what you're getting at and the, the conversations in this, like it, I, there's link-ups, you know, we don't quite have the yeah. thing all mapped together, but I can completely get the interconnectedness between those two conversations. Yes. And it also, if you look at, you look at the physical world, you take uh, this, this desk again, you can, you could do something physical with it that would have some effect. You go to the chemical level, you could burn it, you release more energy. You go to the uh, atomic level, subatomic level, you create a nuclear reaction, there's much more power available. Well, the same is true on the subjective scale, the same is true on, on the level of our awareness, that at these subtler levels, at these quieter levels, our awareness is closer to the conscious unified field that creates the whole universe, and it's more in tune with the conscious unified field, mm. so we're much more powerful. You were, you were talking about quieting the mind and creating a learning experience, bringing you into the present where you're, where you're aware, very heightened, in a heightened state of awareness. It, it, it is an opportunity for learning, for creating a shift in the patterns that you're using in your brain. And of course, then when you create new patterns and you use them, they, they become solidified and, and that's how the, the brain evolves and that's how our awareness evolves. One of the things that got me started in this whole thing was a near-death experience that I had when I nearly drowned at age 13, which I really saw my life in a way I'd never seen it before. My, my awareness really I won't go into detail that right at the moment, but uh, read the book. It's in the man. book. Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's an awesome story. And it made me think of flow state stories that I had yes. heard where that when there's a near death experience and 
And then there's another thing that, again, we're going to need a whole nother podcast for this, but I have heard that people that have near-death experiences or a sense of going to the other side and coming back or that life review experience, which you share about in the book, they're often people who like have these really profound lives that then go off and do remarkable, amazing things. And you're one of the most remarkable, amazing, profound people I've had the privilege to meet. So I'm making it up that those things are related, that you had that experience at 13 and everything that you've been up to since. Well, I think, uh, I think it very much is related because it was at that moment that I realized there was more to life than I had seen before. And I became a seeker and an explorer and someone who wanted to find that and develop it and and make my life about something more than it had been about previously yeah oh my gosh ah larry well we definitely need way more catch-up time because i want to talk about all the geek out minutiae of this that probably will bore too many of my audience members so we'll have to do that on our own time but thank you so much this is just such an exceptional conversation and you have a remarkable ability to actually take some pretty complex science and mathematics and be able to present it in a way that's actually digestible. And, you know, I know this was kind of a hefty episode, but overall, like, I, I don't know, maybe it's my own science background, but I think, I think you actually do it in a really eloquent way that helps people grasp what we're talking about. My, my audience can tell me otherwise one way or another, and we know where (laughs) to follow up for questions and we'll have your information in the um, show notes will be in there and how to get in touch with you. And the science of creating miracles is actually a very digestible book. And I like the way at the beginning of the book, you talked about if you're interested in X, read these chapters. And if you're interested in Y, read these chapters, you don't necessarily have to go through it, you know, from one end to the other in order to grasp it. So if you want more of the quantum mechanics, if you want more of the neuroscience, or if you want to just get into the practical applications in life, you give people directions right off the get-go, how to navigate the book to get that experience, which I thought was really neat. Well, Sarah, it's been so delightful seeing you again and uh, sharing the podium here with you. It's you're brilliant and you're wonderful. And I, I so much admire what you're doing, what you're creating in your life and what you're creating in the world and the, the, the good that you're doing for so many people. So thank you so much for the opportunity to, to talk with you. Thanks, Larry. Until we get to do it again. Thank you to today's guest, Dr. Larry Farwell, for his brilliance and passion. For all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. See you next time.